and welcome to our listeners on Crux Investor and also to our Crux Club members. We're here for our weekly catch up with Uranium Insider. Hello, Justin. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Matt? Not bad. I didn't stand on a bee. You did. <laughs> yeah, I, I stepped on a bee about 10 minutes ago. It Actually, it's not creeping in as much as I thought it would. I, I do think I got the stinger out really fast. Just, just wait. Just wait. Murder, made, murderer. Made the mistake of walking <laughs> through the garden barefoot. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's not good. You'll see. Give, give, it, right. give it two hours. The throbbing will arrive. I did that. I did it last summer, actually, and I, 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 yeah, I thought I didn't think anything of it. I was like, "That's mildly irritating," but it got up into my foot and my uh, sandal, and um, yeah, two hours later, just foot was twice the size. It was good. Oh God! And and by by the way, while while we're on oh yeah, I'm the beekeeper. But while we're at it, so last weekend, I showed a friend um, my beehive. So the friend was meant to arrive at three o'clock, have a little, you know have a look at the bees and let me show you how it's done. Cause he, he wanted to become a beekeeper and uh, he didn't arrive till seven o'clock at night, which is obviously not good, but I, I went, I went ahead, I went ahead and um, that's not a good idea, Justin. And, and I'll tell you why it's because it means all the bees are at home and you messing around with their home when they're trying to get some sleep. It's not good. So I got, thoroughly stung i got two on my uh, throat one on my chest oh, oh wow i know they really went they went they were not happy so um yeah don't don't go look at your bees when uh, they're all at home it's the all of that story and, and don't <laughs> stand on them bees lie. yeah <laughs> don't stand on them oh boy there we go i'll have to remember that you have to remember that you're not going to get bees though in your garden yeah. are you oh i would love to keep bees yeah someday i yeah i think um someday when i have a little bit more free time i'll probably get into that yeah i mean they're great for pollinating all the fruit trees and all the all the flowering vegetables and obviously honey yeah and the honey i mean unless you can talk me out of it but (laughs) nothing well last weekend i might have but um (laughs) it's it's great actually so we we've taken a bit of honey and it's it's actually quite good for allergies so if you, if you, you know, if you kind of get itchy eyes from, you know, pollen or, or hay fever or things like that, and you eat, eat honey, which is harvested locally, it's meant to help quite a bit. It's a bit early mm. to tell, but that's, nice. that's the theory. So there you go. Well, that's the nature section of this interview done. So that's good. Sure. <laughs> sure. Should we move on to the energy the section? You know. <laughs> right. Right. So Justin, it's been a sort of, it's been an interesting week. That's for sure. Um, more of the same. It's building. What, what's been what's been big for you? Gosh, I mean, obviously the uh, the announcement and developments going on in Kazadamprom in Kazakhstan, uh, specifically for Kazadamprom, with uh, in uh, increasingly worsening situation in Kazakhstan with COVID and. Potentially some other new mysterious pneumonia thing. I don't really know. I haven't been following that super closely as far as this other potential. Why don't you just explain that for people coming out this fresh? Because I'm reading Twitter this week. There seems to be a lot of generalists coming in and asking some questions, which perhaps we will take for granted and perhaps they appreciate it. Good point. I I sometimes forget there's always new folks coming to the sector. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, because Adam Prom, the 
uh, majority state-owned uranium producer in Kazakhstan. That's the largest producer in the world. When they're up and running at full production, is about 40 to 45 percent of global production of uranium and they have halted um, their production is isr so it's in situ recovery which basically means that they drill a series of wells into an ore body um, which is underground geology that contains typically an aquifer that has uranium mineralization amongst other things and through the series of wells they inject in this case, sulfuric acid, which binds with the uranium mineral, <clears throat> and they extract a mineralized fluid. So that's one way of mining uranium, and that's how they produce it in Kazakhstan. And because of COVID and precautions around um, employee safety, Kazatomprom decided to halt their well field development. So these deposits. They, they have really fast decline rates. And if you can kind of just picture it in your head of even just like drilling two wells and you inject uh, sulfuric acid into one and extract it out the other, <clears throat> you can only do that for so long beside, before the mineralized um, sulfuric acid that might lie between these two wells starts to decline as far as the grades go. And so they have to essentially continuously drill, continuously drill new wells, even within the same deposit, and in order to maintain, let alone increase production. So they decided to halt their well field development, which is kind of the more labor intensive aspect and employee intensive aspect of their production. Um, so the existing wells have maintained fluid flow. So they're still injecting sulfuric acid <clears throat> because that process is largely automated from what I understand, or at least uh, less intensive when it comes to the need for, um, for, for personnel to be on, on the scene for that, for that aspect of the production. So that's, that's continued. <clears throat> and as far as I know, they haven't really seen yet a reduction in production levels due to the halting of the well field um, uh, development because they've maintained this fluid flow through the existing wells. But that starts to decline <clears throat> after about three months, um, let's say three to five months is kind of the lag time between well field development, you know, drilling new wells, um, developing the setup to inject the sulfuric acid and extract the mineralized sulfuric acid. And so what we're seeing now essentially is um, kind of starting to come up against the beginnings of what should be a, a decent drop in production levels <clears throat> due to the beginning of that halted period, which is about three, almost three and a half months ago now. And uh, just last week that they announced that there's a 30-day lockdown for the entire country in which they will also be participating and extending that period of halted well field development for at least another 30 days. <clears throat> so that's kind of where we're at now. And it's still, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns around this as far as will it be only 30 days? Will it go beyond that? Um, at what point will they begin to uh, bring that well field development back? Um, and at what rate, more importantly? Um, I, I don't believe that they're going to um, just come right back to full production, even when they when they can and, and and do make that decision. So it's quite the black swan. It, it really is. And it's pretty profound. And I don't think that the market is 
even giving 5% of the attention and the gravity to what's really going on with the supply shock yet, because it's not reacting in the way that um, it would if it were truly forward looking, in my opinion. Yes, I think, I, th- I think that's right. So just to kind of simplify it again, for some of those folk that we've kind of seen on Twitter this week, sort of coming in fresh to this. So if supply demand rules, so if, if someone um, is restricted in terms of producing the same levels of output as before, there's going to be less of it in the market and the knock-on effect typically does not just apply to uranium. Anything, if there's a shortage of something, the price usually goes up. So one thing what you just said, Justin, is you'd expect there to be a reaction in terms of the pricing in the market, but we've not seen that. But right. maybe... Well, we saw, we saw an initial run-up kind of March, April that was primarily due to perhaps some traders covering some some sellers, small spot sellers actually turning to buying, but primarily chemical buying. Um, that was just after they closed Cigar and then Kazatapom's initial announcement. So we saw some pretty good moves in spot then, but it's kind of leveled out the past, what, eight weeks, six or eight weeks. That's right. That's right. And yeah. come, come back a bit as well. And I guess a little bit of that was a, a, a possible anticipation of what, you know, what could happen if COVID did extend and people trying to get put feelers in the market and sort of see, you know, what would happen if they did, did dip in and put some orders in. So, right. um, but, but it hasn't right. had that reaction. It's not getting noticed. It is, you know, after all, quite a small sector. So it's only a $10 billion sector. So it's not huge right. compared to most commodities and most base metals, most precious metals. Um, but there's some other reasons why that might be the case as well. And we typically, you and I talk about the behavior and actions of the U.S. utilities. So, and again, maybe might be worth sort of explaining that from a, a basic level. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, just kind of a 30,000-foot view mm. as far as how utilities act, generally speaking. Um, I guess to broadly generalize would be like a herd. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's really a broad brushstroke because not all utilities just act entirely like a herd. But um, utilities primarily procure uranium through term contracts, through mid- and long-term contracts. I mean, that's historically speaking. Um, <clears throat> so there's a pretty big contracting cycle about you know 10 to 12 years ago where most utilities, U.S. and otherwise, signed long-term contracts at higher prices those contracts have continued to deliver throughout the last, uh, you know, five plus years, along with a pretty big oversupply where utilities were able to buffer inventories to uh, to the extent that they were beginning to become uncovered, could cover with short to midterm contracts and carry trades, things like that. And so the utilities are, are actually still relatively well covered. Um, uh, more so in Europe than the U.S. and the uncovered um, utilities in the U.S. really, really increase about two years out and uh, steeply thereafter. So, considering the fuel cycle is you know anywhere from 12, 18, 24 months, depending on uh, where along the fuel cycle utilities could procure uranium. If it's U three O eight, we're talking probably you know at least eighteen months from mined material to fabricated fuel. But at the moment, you know, U.S. utilities, speaking specifically about the U.S., uh, are dealing with COVID themselves. So focusing on on safe, uh, safe production of electricity, 
they are um, a lot of them. Actually, most U.S. utilities are, have engaged in um, refueling uh, procedures this year. So that's sort of put a pause on on normal operations. Um, and then you also have a number of overhangs still in the sector. So you have obviously the presidential election, which is causing a lot of <laughs> social and political upheaval uh, at the moment in the states. <clears throat> And you have uh, the Russian suspension agreement, which uh, I'm hearing will be ruled on within the next, let's see, what's the day? Uh, within about a month um, is what I'm hearing. Really? Where are you hearing you that hear. from? That's that's amazing. I, oh, I, I, I've heard it could go I, on I until after the election. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just what I'm hearing. I can't I can't confirm that. But right. e either, either way, it's an overhang that we will hear some sort of ruling on, you know, at least before the end of the year. And there's uh, so that that has implications for us utility fuel buying um as well as we have the iran waiver situation which is still a bit of an unknown and so there's a number of overhangs along with covid along with uh refueling procedures there's a lot of overhangs still in the sector not to mention the fact that utilities also i believe are kind of looking at the situation in the spot market I think at this point, everybody knows it's very thin and any procurement in the spot market right now is moving the price, even in small quantities. So you have a number of utilities who have still deliverable contracts that are, that are, that are delivering fuel out into the future. And those contracts are partially spot referenced. So to the extent that the spot price moves up, even with small purchases, that has implications to the utility's bottom line with their contracts as well, with the spot reference portion of their contracts. So <laughs> there's a complex mix of factors here. And um, either way, utilities will need, U.S. utilities will need to contract soon, will need to procure uranium soon. I believe that that could happen perhaps in smaller quantities this year, sooner rather than later. But I'm I'm still looking at 2021 for sort of a larger move in that realm. It is complicated. That, I mean, that, there's there's a lot of moving parts. And that's nothing. That, that's just that's just some of the moving parts. So you can sort of see why yeah. I think people like the melodrama of uranium. Um, it's right. a very complicated puzzle we've got to try and work out. And you've got to understand, you know, when to step in. Or at least have a, the mindset of, um, you know, if you take all of the, the, the macro supply demand story and say, okay, that's good enough for me at some point, this thing's going to go, you know, you can, you can place your bets and uh, sit back and wait. That's fine. But people seem to love to be involved in the daily soap opera that is the uranium. It's, it's indeed. I'd I, I, I love it. I see it. I see it. I see it every day. We get asked questions every day. We've, you know, we try and speak to the great and the good and get their take on it. And I'm not sure right. any one person I've spoken to understands it entirely. Um, right. Wouldn't it be great to just go gold's going to 5,000 because the econ US economy is doomed. That's much easier as a sell, I think. <laughs> Wouldn't right. it be great if uranium had its own mantra like that? Um, yeah. But it, it, yeah. it doesn't. It's nuanced. It's it's political, it's, it's emotional, uh, decision-making and these, yeah, again, I think the part you didn't quite explain again, just for, for newbies, I, for our regular listeners, it's obviously this is old, old hat a bit and we've, you know, we'll, we'll come into a bit which I think might be a little bit more appropriate for them in a second, but you know, 
the US consumes 25% of the world's uranium. It's about 50 million pounds. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Slightly. between 45 and 50, somewhere around there. Right. Okay. So it's a lot. And that's why US utility bars are, are quite important to all of this. Indeed. I think that's worth yeah, It's worth the largest saying. market. Yeah. Right. That's worth right. knowing. So yeah. What, can we just come back to Kazatomprom though, please? Yes. Because um, we actually spoke to them this week. We had a chat and I think the interview, the interview is sort of up with our Crux Club members this weekend and hopefully that seems to be relatively positive feedback in terms of, you know, what was said there. So it's yes. A little bit, a little bit of insight. And that'll be out um, on Monday tomorrow for, for everyone else to listen to. But it's, 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 so I won't give too much away, but it seems to me like, you know, they're not, they didn't, we get a lot of this kind of very aggressive uh, talk of people coming at us and going, you know, the, the, these guys, they're, they're the puppets of the Russians and they are not telling the whole story. They're only 25% listed and it's, you know, they're trying to screw the market and, you know, so you walk into an interview like that with Kazad and Prom and go, crikey, you've got all of this stuff going on and that's the environment in which they have to work and their public companies have got to be careful what they say. And I, I, I kind of got this sense that they had to mind their P's and Q's for a couple of reasons. One, because people just jump on them. And two, because, you know, the, the state-owned component, which 75% of it is still effectively state-owned through the Sovereign Wealth Fund, they're they're very kind of they're having to be a bit cautious and you know careful with their perception and moving from a company or an organization and a business which was originally just about production you know it wasn't about the commercial commerciality of this it wasn't about making money which is about how do we produce 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 and you know and I saw that when I was in the oil game and I did some work in Kazakhstan or the Stans generally and Kazakhstan mm-hmm. and those are the sorts of um, thought processes going on there so it, to, it and it's only two years ago so they're, they're kind of finding their feet and so I kind of felt um, that this poor sod where I'm, I'm asking difficult questions was mindful of both sides of the equation whatever he said someone someone was going to be upset with him so <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. you know it was, it was a toughie it was a toughie but I'm I'm, I'm not a big a big buyer of they're trying to kill the U.S. Well, certainly not Kazan and Prom trying to kill the U.S. Uh, uranium junior market. I, di- I didn't feel that was the case. And maybe I'm being a bit naive here, and I'm sure I'm going to get lots of people telling me I am, as usual. Um, but, the, you know, they've got their own sets of problems, and they, they're trying to, like everyone, they've got their own playbook as well, like everyone, okay? Both sides of the table have got their own playbook, um, and just trying to work out how to how to survive. Um, and well, I won't give too much away about some of the questions we asked, but I mean, we we did we did it. We sort of did poke the ribs a bit, to sort of see what would come out, and you know, I think there's a few and a couple of interesting points came out. But the bit I want to talk to you about though is um, with lockdown being extended by another month. I think the likelihood is from what we're seeing in that part of the world that that probably will be extended. Um, when do you think this thing goes out to before the market does react? Your point earlier was actually, you know, these are, these, this is a big movement. This is a big black swan and no one cares. Yeah. When do you it think really they're going to start caring? 
I think they'll start caring when the spot market continues to move <clears throat> and more substantial funds flow into the sector. Um, but why would, why would it? Because if you, you look at Kazakhstan, mm-hmm. they've said, we are going to be able to fill our contracts for this year. We may have to come into the market to buy something, but we do have inventory to cover us, but we don't want to draw down on that inventory, right? Cameco, right. pretty much the same story. Between them, they represent, well, I mean, how much of the market do they represent, Justin? Cameco? Cameco and, and uh, Kazatom Prom together. Oh, gosh, it's a majority. Um, just off the top. Well, it's hard. If you're talking about right now, Cameco is producing almost nothing. They've got yeah. the declining production at Inkai, and that's it. But on their contracts, um, they must, but, between the, the two and their contracts, yeah, must be... Yeah, it's something like 60, between right. 60 and 70%. Yeah. There you go. So those 60 yeah. plus percent has said, we will fulfill our contracts this year. It may involve right. going to market and, and mopping up some of this loose inventory or moving inventory, because we talked about the mobility of inventory previously. Um, saying that's okay. So you can sort of see why maybe... Utility bars aren't that nervous about it, unless you've just quite clearly laid out. They've got a whole bunch of other things they're concerned about, like the Russian suspension agreement in Iran, um, U.S. elections. Long, you know, they got their own. Pro- and plus, don't forget, they get energy from other sources, so so renewable, gas, coal. I can see why they're not really one hundred percent focused on this. So what? So what do right. we do? What do we do? Well, I think that I think it's important to recognize that there is a difference between um, having a grasp of when when exactly utilities will contract and and the effect that will have on the price and um, the investment offer opportunity and points of entry and when the market will move to bring returns because they're not exactly correlated necessarily. Um, they're obviously related, <clears throat> but one is not exactly in line with the other. So you you can take a broad view and, and, and zoom out and look at the supply-demand modeling, even, even the base case, which is highly conservative coming from the WNA fuel report, and see that there clearly is... Uh, a supply demand situation. And this was, this was prior to COVID as well. So um, this has really been a black swan and you can take that case and see, okay, very clearly we're looking out into the later part of the decade with big implications for potential problems with supply. And okay, that's 10 years away. Why does that, why does that matter now as an equities investor? Well, it matters now because the, the lag time between production and uh, and fabric- fabricated fuel is so long that you really have to have a super forward-looking uh, objective as an investor to position yourself as a contrarian in a way <laughs> that will bring you the greatest returns if that's what you're interested in. If you're looking for momentum play, just look at the charts of the leading companies and enter when you want to enter based on momentum. And you don't even have to listen to this conversation. That's one way to do it. But if you're you're trying to act as a contrarian and get in before the market really recognizes the opportunity, then then this is really where you dig into the weeds. Now to go back to Kazadamprom and the spot market. Okay, so Kazadamprom has now said that it's possible they may do some buying in the market. 
because of their production, uh, their production shock that they are about to see. So they they stated in March when they first initiated the halting of well field development that they have eight months of inventory. That's around 22 million pounds. They're willing to go down to six months as an absolute base of inventory. They're not willing to draw down past that. So that's 25%. That gives them about six, 16 million pounds inventory. So they're, they're willing essentially to burn through about 6 million pounds of inventory. Then you have to ask yourself, what is the production halt? What is the production um, impact, the supply impact coming from this? What will it be? Because it hasn't been much of anything so far. In my opinion, another few months of this, and we have a major, major situation because this is still very overhanging. It's very unknown. We don't know when cigar is coming back online, and we don't know that when it does, the level of production that's coming from that. Cameco is a buyer. Cameco was a buyer when MacArthur closed, with both of their biggest, the two largest mines on the planet closed for an indefinite period of time. Cameco is not done buying by any means. Then you talk about Kazatomprom and the potential supply impacts from this situation ongoing um, to the level that they will be needing to buy. And you have the two largest producers on the planet buying uranium. Then you have to look at who is supplying that uranium in this environment. Who is literally mining right now and selling that into the spot market? BHP? Uh, who else? Uranium One is not selling into the spot market. Orono is not selling into the spot market. And they have been the past few years. They're hugely impacted by the, the, the supply impacts in Kazakhstan with their JVs, or no as well with cigar. So we we have, let's say, let's say for 2021, 10 to 15 million pounds available in the spot market for the entire year right now. That's it. That's it. And we're seeing very low volume trades in the spot market moving the price. It's just it. it it's, it's hard to overstate the potential severity of this situation. Now, it's not that Kazatomprom will never come back, Cigar will never come back, and the long-term contracting market won't see a, a healthy action that will potentially support a stable and rising price environment. That is possible, but it's still unknown right now. We're also going into winter. So the, the coldest temperatures in Kazakhstan are January, February, followed by December. So they might see a partial return to wellhead development. Let's say, let's say as soon as mid to late August, maybe they start trying to come back if we're lucky. Uh, so then we'll have September, October, November of probably what will be a staged return before being weather and winter cold impacted they're not drilling wells um, and and doing sulfuric acid injections when it's minus 40 degrees celsius they're just not doing it it, it slows down substantially you can look at historic numbers on seasonality for for kazakhstan's well field development and uh, there is some but it's very very limited in the winter the setup is is phenomenal i, I i'm almost at a loss for words because it's it's just and to see the market reaction to this being so tepid, it's like you just have to be able to see the writing on the wall. And if 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 you can see it, you, I'm just beside myself. And and I know 
there have been setups over the past few years that have gotten bulls very excited, justifiably so, and the market just has not confirmed that excitement and that bullishness in the way that we all expected. But as far as I can tell, we need to get back to some kind of production, both in Kazakhstan and at Cigar Lake, very soon to avoid a situation in 2021 that could be could be pretty face ripping when it comes to spot price and equities. Okay, so I'm I hear what you're saying there. I'm kind of excited because what what it's done is is brought forward um, the supply story. Okay. Right. But the demand side is it was never in doubt, right? We 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 know what's being built. We know what exists. We know what's being built, and we know it's coming. The supply side is kind of brought that that um, problem into full view. The spotlight is is on it. The market's not reacting, but if anyone's paying attention to uranium, you you can see it loud and clear. And I I I get the fact that your 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 disbelief in the situation, but it's pretty exciting, right? If if you right. if you're in uranium and you pick the right company you know, it's going to be fine. Right. We're, we're all agreed on that one. Um, right. But the, the coming back to your point about timing, timing is um, if it comes back this side of Christmas, it's going to be fine. Uh, in terms of, you know, the, you know, the, let's, let's say the U S elections happen. When are they? November. They happen. Let's say, Trump gets back in, or even, even the Democrats, right? The Democrats, I think they've they've made some positive noises recently. You know that um, document they brought out recently about their, their, their you know, um, and, and energy requirements. And I think it was reasonably positive um, language used around nuclear. So let, let, let's let, let's say even the Democrats get in, and um, nu- you know, nu- nuclear is on the agenda for for all parties. But that's November. And utilities might get some comfort um, if, as you say, the Russian suspension agreement is agreed this side of Christmas. Okay, all good, all good. Um, if they, for whatever reason, because they can and they they know what um, you know what what their options are and how long they can keep this going and you know where they're prepared to let their inventory levels run down to. Don't start moving in the first two quarters of next year. There's a lot of uranium juniors, not just US, um, but all over all over the world, who are not sitting on cash. They are going to need to go to market. Can you imagine being a CEO of a uranium junior going to a fund? And I'm not talking about one of the existing uranium funds. They, they, they're either going to have to dig dig deeper and you know buy more and probably expose themselves to some companies for fear of losing their money. Um, if generalist funds, and I think it's going to be small generalist funds or family offices, don't buy the story. They want to see some movement. And if there isn't this movement in the spot price and if there isn't term contracting this side of Christmas as a result of those events, and this is a what-if scenario, okay, um, what happens to the companies who can't raise money? Well, so far we haven't really seen that, right? I mean, we've seen some of the raises that were done in and around the liquidity crisis in March mm. could be argued that they did not have very good terms for shareholders, for existing shareholders. I mean, I think that's really what we've seen. I know GoVX did a raise that they weren't able to fully fulfill. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, if I recall, that was sort of right in the heart of the 
of the crisis. <clears throat> just well, just just before, because I think we were approached. So I think it was just before, but they weren't able to do the second. Right, um, right. Raise. It was partially full. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I, I think if it when it comes to very large raises or let's say development costs and capex for that, that might be a hard sell. But I don't really see very many projects getting into development in the next six months. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think that there's there's enough of a preponderance of uh, of of contrarian investors that have been taking that have been participating in private placements over the past few years that are likely to continue to do that even if the market doesn't move it's just the terms the terms just get really shitty for lack of a better word for existing shareholders you know oh, but, the but, raises get more and more expensive but i, th- I, th- I think the re- raise, there's a yeah. recent batch that have happened and and real shitty you know so, yeah. since yeah, yeah. you know real i mean i'll stay away from naming names but Boy, oh boy, the one the ones that have been done recently, you know, they're great for the investor because I think they're just about to own a significant portion of some of these companies going forward. Right. Um, you know, if you if you do get into and, and as we have looked at the terms that these things were signed signed under, so either they they were, it's quite funny. It's like the, the it's looks like a lot of money, but it's just enough for the company not to be able to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So therefore it's just enough for the lender or the, 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 the person giving the money under whatever terms um, to take a significant chunk of, of the business when the company fails to meet the terms of, of its obligations. So, right. There, and and there's, a, there's a, you know, there's a few of those. I'm not pointing any one group, but there's, there's a handful um, who, who are just, you know, they reach the end of the line. But I, I suspect there's going to be a few more of those conversations if things don't start moving the side of, of Christmas. And um, with Cameco and Kazatom Prom saying that they're able to fulfill their orders, that's, as you said, about 60, 65% of the market. Um, if there's still enough, you know, loose inventory in the market to kind of mop up, then you know, that's an, there's another chunk. So... It becomes very, very interesting mm-hmm. in the marketplace, and and you know, there's there's a few names that I can think of that I w- you know would not like to be in if that yeah. if that scenario that what if scenario is is the case. So you know, I'm not being doom and gloom, but you know, I you kind of put together that. I mean, because I I did that um, Oz I M Oz I M M conference a couple of weeks ago. I chaired one of the panels. There was a Right. There's a few panels there. There's the um, the one I did, which is talking about the broader nuclear and uranium industry, you know, current and future markets. Um, I think there was one on um, policy and strategy for, yeah, uh, it was a nuclear future or something like that. Um, and then there was a session which was quite interesting, which was talking about the current market and investment. And that one... In fact, I better tell you what else there was, and I'll come back to that. And then the, I think the fourth one was around SMR and new technologies, right? So you know that, that, that was that was great. Um, but the the one which was really interesting was the uranium market and investment, um, where it, it kind of just remind people, you know, people like the the um, was it UXC and and Traytech, you know, they've they they gather the data in from all uranium uh, mines, public, private. Uh, that feed into the market, you know, con- con- conversion, et cetera. 
And their long-term numbers are that, you know, the, the supply demand story doesn't really become a, a factor until 2023, right? 22, maybe 22, 2022 on a certain circumstance, but in 2023 and I think one scenario, 2024, that's their view in the marketplace. And if utilities are buying into that, you know, then I think we as investors, you know, got a bit of a problem on our hands. So there was that, that was part of the conversation. And then talking about, cause there were a few funds on, you know, as part of, there's an online uh, conference at Norney is held in Australia. Um, in Adelaide, I'm told in Adelaide. Um, so, you, so, you know, there were sort of two or three scenarios laid out where, you know, one was, it'll be fine. We'll sort of slowly kind of creep up that curve. And the other was a slightly more devastating scenario as an investor, slightly more devastating scenario where perhaps this thing could drag on till, you know, this time next year. No one wants that, do they? Well, I don't. Yeah. Well, I think, I think lacking, lacking the COVID impacts, I think that the argument that the uncovered utilities can slowly come back into the market and we can see a slow and steady rise. Um, I mean, this is just, this is the ever-present danger to um, a relatively small sector that has only only a few major players. And if those major players get impacted, then the, 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 the impacts to the overall sector can be big. Mm. So I think in a normal market, I think the argument of a slow and steady return to to uh, prices that incentivize production, incentivize care and maintenance wise to come back online is absolutely justifiable, and that's what I was expecting for the most part until COVID came along. And now, now we have this, this entirely different situation that you sort of have to graft on top of the already existing fundamentals for the market. It's you know it's it's an unbelievably complex thing. And difficult to predict, and then you have all of the political implications and and all of the overhanging elements, and, and and you have a broad market that's just chugging along against all odds, and and should really be pulling back here based on overall economies being pretty decimated in most major markets around the world. Um, <clears throat> it's it's crazy. Uh, I mean, there's there's certainly there's certainly risks to uh, being long here. And I think that those risks are primarily due to broad market influence, not to the uranium sector. Um, I, I've definitely, I've recommended to my newsletter and have practiced this myself to have maintained a healthy cash position right now because of the potential for another pullback in the broad market, which I don't think we see another March sell-off. Uh, something similar to that, but you know, a higher low, I think, is absolutely justifiable and really should happen for any sort of healthy recovery in the stock market. I don't know if it happens or not. The Fed liquidity injections are are massive, and they just keep coming. Um, and then, lastly, on that front, just the presidential election. Um, I am expecting Trump to win. I do hope that he does for a number of reasons, but you know, if he doesn't. I think that the broad market will see a incredible sell-off. And that's a difficult thing to prepare for when all of the fundamentals for the thing we're invested in are just phenomenally positive. And we have this other thing that is hanging over that could potentially threaten it. It's like it's it's an it's a crazy time. 
Well, here's one for you. Well, let me just first finish off on the Oz IMM thing. I think the, Please, the yeah. feedback on the set, and I think, I don't know, if, tell me if you feel any, any different, but I thought the, the general mood, really positive. Okay. And I get that nice. most of them are sort of industry uh, orientated and have, you know, vested interests in one way or another or vested interests in one way or another for this to work out. Okay. So there was, the mood was good um, despite, you know, COVID, we were, you know, we were doing it online because right. of COVID. Okay. So the, the noises were positive. Okay. That, that's one thing. Um, and some of the, some of the voices in there were generalist funds. Okay. So to me, and I think I've said this before in another one of our interviews or podcasts, um, that's a really good indicator for me. If the generalists are in there and they're understanding and they're positive, you should put as a retail investor, or family officer, you should pay attention, okay? Because they'll have done their homework at this point. They don't. They don't pay to go places or pay. To, you know, pay to participate if they haven't done a lot of work already. So that. So that. I say one. That's very very good. Um, I'm going to repeat the, the the mantra, which I've repeated often. I think I'm only doing this because again, like when we talked at the beginning of the, um, in fact, before the show started, we were talking about some of the commentary on Twitter, and we we both noticed that there's a lot of generalist retail investors coming into this and we perhaps went as a you know tip hat slightly towards them and say look the, the we recognize you perhaps haven't yet had time to do the listening or the, or the reading required or to get into the get into the level of detail to sort of understand this quite complicated space but um it's a good time to get in prices are low it's gonna go up. The macro story, supply demand story is positive. So it's if you are prepared to sit you know, and make your choice or choices uh, and invest and you're prepared to sit for a while, sit back and see this thing coming up, you're probably going to be fine. If you want to like some commodities, um, talk about this on a daily basis and worry about it on a daily basis, this probably isn't the investment for you yet. I would say, I would say those things. And the the things that we go for, and again, this is for the for the beginners, is you want to back a team who've done it before, who in the uranium space specifically. You want to see that they've done it before. You want to see that they've got a good pa- cash position now to be able to kind of get them through to that point. And they've got an asset which can be economically mined. And because they've done it before, that they can get term contracts in place when they're in a position to to do so so those are some those are some of the things that you should be looking for when you're sort of having having a whiz around here and if you um if you follow uranium insiders newsletter there's some pretty big clues in there and some and some reviews of, of various companies as well so that's well worth um looking at there you go justin i just became your marketing department by the way we, we hadn't discussed <laughs> Thanks, it but i, I thought i mentioned it. the kind words there yeah <laughs> yeah no that's great advice that's really good advice and i i completely agree and i i would add that um to invest in uranium now or at any time in the past couple of years let's say you inherently have to have to show up to it with a contrary view and with a with a mid to long term time frame um, it, I would not suggest to anybody to enter this space with short-term expectations. Okay, um, so I think so, that's right. I mean, you you have to you have to have that in mind to invest in this space. It's not it, 
if you're if you're chasing short-term volatility, you might nail it, but it's 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 tricky. And so, you know, I, I, what I have done, what I continue to do is is buy the companies that I like. I buy when uh, on a day that's largely red, whenever I possibly can. I don't like to chase, but uh, uh, so far that has worked really well for me. And and even though we have massive volatility potential for the next six months with all of the things we just talked about. Um, I still have a view that the potential top for this cycle is two to three years out at the soonest and potentially longer. So I think if you keep that in mind, if you're interested in the sector, if you keep that in mind, I think positioning yourself this year, at least at least up to and until the election, let's say, um, uh, for, let's say Q3, I think is really, really big opportunities. Right. And I'm, I'm going to put my miserable conservative hat, hat on here because I have sort of my view, seeing how, how this is moving or not moving. Um, I was aiming for a Q4. I'm, I'm potentially, potentially Q3 next year. Okay. There's, there's doom and gloom for you. Um, but, and we'll, we'll park that there and I will take the abuse online, which is, I know is imminent, but um, I wanted to ask you a question because someone threw this at me and I thought, what a bloody brilliant question. And which was, do we, may I include you, think that um, uranium or nuclear is fed proof? What they meant by that was, I, I assume they were uh, alluding to the recent quantitative easing programs, uh, which will affect uh, countries and, and government's ability to, um, you know, well, pay, obviously pay, pay the debt down. <laughs> Thank you very much for the new debt pile. Um, but do you think that that um, is going to have an impact on nuclear down the line, like it will do with some spending from governments, uh, say, a year from now? Mm. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I, I mean, is this a United States specific question? You'd say. Let's make. Well, you, you're 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 American, so yeah, talk about it from yeah. an American perspective. Yeah, um, is it Fed proof? I mean, I, I'm not concerned. Um, it's. I mean, it's twenty percent of the grid. It's like it's not like it's something that they can just throw away. Um, I think it's it's vital, and as far as I can tell, the rhetoric coming out of the of the federal government regarding nuclear is, is profoundly positive and supportive. So I'm, I think that if there's a will, there's a way, let's just say, let's put it like that. Yeah. I, I think I can, I think when we're talking about it here internally with the boys, it was like, I think it's more fed proof than most things because it's critical. You need right. energy, you need power. Yep. Um, yep. I don't think it can be replaced easily. Um, it'll be very expensive to do so. Ask the Germans and, Indeed. um, or ask the French when they tried as well. Um, so I, th so I think, yeah, I think it's more fed proof than, than most things. Um, although I, I can't help but feel that, you know, this recent quantitative easing program, it's never been good in the past. It's, it's, it's not good. Well, short term, fine. People are kind of, I think I read a piece in uh, Financial Times today, today talking about the fact that, you know, people are feeling better as a result of it. But um, I think my kids and their kids and their kids will be picking up the bill 
uh, for, right. a, for a long, long, long time. So, um, yeah. well, there you go. That was that was the big question, and I think we ended up at the same place. Um, so, Justin, I think we better call it a day there. It's sort of you've got you've got things to get on and do. Indeed, sir. How's your foot? Yeah. How about well, yourself? No, don't tell me how your foot is. Are you feeling any any discomfort? It's uh, it's actually been waning, so I think I'm in the clear. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> What's on your agenda for this Sunday evening? Um, well, I've been swimming uh, with the kids, so I'm covered in chlorine, so I might need to do something about that. Um, and I think we've got a barbecue lined up because we're getting good weather here for the next week or so. So starting started yesterday, so that's nice. Uh, one of my daughters has gone off to a party, so hopefully no phone calls uh, because I'm about to get stuck into some uh, quite nice red wine and uh, cooking. I think I don't know what we've got lined up. Roast bits of meat, which we're going to throw on there like a caveman. So that's the yeah, I think that's the <laughs> sounds great. I know, yeah. right? There you go. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, Matt. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate your hard work. I mean, the the you're unbelievably prolific with the content you're putting out there, and I I hope that you are hearing uh, a, a chance of gratitude coming your way. We 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 get we get uh, some chance of gratitude, and we get some. Tr- I woke up to some trolling this morning. Well, I think it was done late last night and um, perhaps after someone had been drinking a lot and then this morning woke up and apologized. So that was, <laughs> we do, we get, we get it in equal measure. So um, too much content is not enough quality. Uh, not enough content is, um, like, you know, that also is, is not satisfactory. Um, so, you know, which we, we try, Justin, we try, it's all made all the better for lovely chats like this with people like you, who, you know, care about their sector, do their homework. If any, again, any of the new people listening to this, you know, you got to like Justin, you've got to work hard, get the information, make your own mind up, have a plan, have a strategy. In fact, we, we get, um, some, some very good comments about you from our Crux Club members, actually, which, um. That's nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. So I think they appreciate people like you who you know do the, do the hard yards you know for them in a, in a way. But you know they they enjoy uh, the fact that you've, you know, you do dig down and try and understand a subject properly. So I think from the Crux Club members, thank you very much as well. My pleasure. Right. Should we get? Should we? Should we go? We're we going to speak to you next week. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, Justin, thanks so much. Speak to you soon.